more toxic aspects of some mission approaches is the objectification of the people being served and partnered with. I was part of a mission immersion once where the organization sent a three-person camera crew to capture all the footage of us, quote, bringing Jesus to the nations, you know, unquote, as we installed water filtration systems, painted buildings, and passed out evangelism bracelets. What is living water, you know, how do y'all approach sharing your story of what you're doing and who you are serving without feeling like you are making them a, an object of making us feel good for what we're doing? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. This podcast episode is presented to you by the Forum for Theological Exploration. Founded in 1954, FTE is a leadership incubator that inspires young people to make differences in the world through Christian communities. In 2017, Kimberly Daniel and Stephen Lewis began hosting small gatherings of entrepreneurs, pastors, and community leaders at FTE. What they learned about how people are working at the intersection of church, community, and business inspired them. From San Diego to Chicago, Christians are disrupting age-old practices of innovation. In a new book, 
A way out of no way, an approach of Christian innovation, Kimberly and Steven share what their work as leaders of FTE and co-founders of Do Good X, a community for underrepresented social entrepreneurs, has helped them understand about what it means to innovate as Christians. Their book is a blueprint for learning how entrepreneurs, congregations, and organizations are making a way out of no way to help their communities thrive. Read what endorser Jennifer Bailey and Brian McLaren and others say about a way out of no way and purchase or download a copy for entrepreneurs in your family, congregation, or community. Learn more at fteleaders.org backslash away out of no way. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Dr. Michael Mantell. Serving as the CEO of Living Water International, Michael leads a faith-based global humanitarian organization that provided that was provided over 6 million people across the world with access to safe water. He has a new book, Thirsting for Living Water. Michael, thank you for joining the conversation. Andy, it is my pleasure. Now, uh, we'll learn more about the organization, um, you know, that you lead through some of the aspects of the book. Um, but, you know, let's stop and tell us about uh, what Living Water does. Living Water started about 31 years ago out of uh, Houston, Texas. Um, it was, uh, it grew out of a church mission trip. There were uh, 29 people that went uh, from uh, Sugar Creek Baptist with a few other churches along with it. They went to uh, Mombasa, Kenya uh, to do all kinds of stuff, to help build churches and do medical missions and to, uh, um, you know, do other interventions on health. And what they discovered was uh, people were washing down their uh, medications with the same water that was making them sick in the first place. So they they kind of heard a little invitation, a divine invitation to try to help engage the global water crisis. They didn't know really what that would mean, but over the last uh, 31 years, uh, Living Water International has brought uh, water uh, for life in Jesus' name to over 7 million people um, with 21,000 uh, water projects currently operating in 18 countries. So we are a global organization now with uh, staff uh, located in each one of these 18 countries, national staff, uh, tremendous leaders in um, water access, sanitation, hygiene, public health, of course, uh, accountants and uh, drillers and uh, uh, HR folks and finance folks. And so it's a, it's a joy as an organization to work with churches. We work with churches um, at the local level, um, engaged with uh, addressing both issues of water and issues of uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, living water. We work with uh, churches at the county and national levels where we align our strategies um, with uh, churches. And uh, we invite churches within the United States, along with individuals, to just join what God is doing globally uh, through his church uh, with a real focus on uh, helping people access safe water and experience the living water, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, you know, as, as you're laying out, and I think of our uh, global missions organization, it's not just about, you know, the people that are present in those countries and doing the work of the gospel, but it's also about, you know, somebody's got to do HR, somebody's got to do payroll, somebody's <laughs> going to do these different things. And so there's so much behind what makes many what we call field personnel instead of missionaries successful um, are those people that 
uh, are figuring it all out so that they can go and so they could be funded and so that they can make these things happen. But, you know, going back to some of the work that y'all do, what, what does that practically look like in most places providing safe water? So the, uh, uh, the first uh, determination is which country um, will we work in? And we've actually been reducing the number of countries so we could go deeper, you know, through the 31 years at one time or another, we've been in about 27 countries, but we've reduced those that, that down to 18 countries, um, including uh, an additional one that we added. So the first is just really identifying where we believe you know, God is is inviting us to participate. It's an analysis of of poverty. It's an analysis of uh, partnerships. It's it's uh, you know looking at uh, ability to to work within the you know the governmental context, um, the interest of uh, churches both in that uh, field cap capacity and in the in the funding capacity. So we start with a ch uh, location. And then within that country, we work with um, other uh, nonprofits, the government uh, water uh, commissions, um, the church networks, and try to find a uh, what we call a WASH program area. So it's WASH is an acronym, uh, Water Access Sanitation Hygiene, a program area is a geographical footprint that's, you know, maybe 50 to 100 kilometers across. It might have 50 to 100,000 people. And, and a location that has significant need, meaning people generally are living at the bottom of the poverty uh, line, you know, $2 a day or less, more or less, and uh, a place uh, where we could coordinate with others so we don't uh, replicate work, but we're really uh, focusing on a real need. And then within that WASH program area, we take another step a little tighter and we identify communities within that WASH program area, communities that, that don't just need water because they all need water, but communities that will partner with us. Um, we call that uh, water demand, that they're willing to work with us uh, across uh, churches, uh, between churches and municipalities, um, with other community groups to really uh, commit themselves um, to uh, develop a WASH uh, uh, committee, to uh, engage in training, um, to begin to um, understand the, the financial aspects of sustainable water. It's, it's one thing just to drill a water well, but um, the important thing is that that water well is seen by the community, by the church and the municipalities as theirs, that they will maintain it, they will uh, develop a supply chain for materials, they will continue to train uh, members of the church and community on, on hygiene and sanitation. And once we build those partnerships within the context of these uh, communities, under a WASH program area in the country of choice, we spend about six or nine months uh, developing kind of a baseline uh, analysis. What's the water access like? What's the sanitation and hygiene conditions? How many kids are sick? Um, what's, what's the distance that people are walking to access, you know, water from a river or water from a hand dug well? And, uh, you know, what are the economic uh, conditions in that uh, WASH program area? 
And then over that course of five, six, seven years, we just keep investing with these uh, community uh, um, units, enough uh, uh, hardware, enough and software. Software really is the training as it relates to both sanitation and hygiene, but also uh, Bible storying workshops and church capacity building workshops. So we just keep investing our uh, our donors' uh, resources so that 85 or 90% of everyone has access to water, that 100% or 95 to 100% of the people have changed their sanitation and hygiene behaviors, uh, that the church, the church networks within those footprints are seen positively and are engaged um, you know, with their community around this very important need of water. And so we measure these changes um, at a midterm at, you know, two and a half to, to three years. And then we measure the uh, impact at the conclusion of the five to seven years. And we've seen over the last uh, decade or so that um, by taking a uh, relational yet uh, scientific approach, um, you know, to alleviating the water crisis, strengthening the church and sharing the gospel that we can see real change. And it's that change that uh, people are excited about. So how, you know, and I guess you're still trying to measure this, and especially some of the countries that you're facing as, you know, the uh, uh, capacity for vaccinations and access to mm. that uh, continue to be limited. But in what ways has has your work been affected by the pandemic? <laughs> it has it has been the most challenging and the most exciting um, time period that uh, I recall. You know, I've I've really been in global humanitarian Christian work for over thirty years. Um, this pandemic has hit us at all levels. You know, sometimes when there's a disaster in one country. Uh, a hurricane, an earthquake, a uh, you know, uh, a social eruption. There's peace in other places, or when there's an economic impact in in you know one set of states or a set of cities or one sector. There's usually another geographical location that has you know resources or another sector, you know that uh, you know kind of fills the gap. But with this global pandemic, um, every location every sector, you know, the market, uh, oil and gas, uh, churches, um, uh, transportation, uh, communications, um, every continent has been impacted. So for us, it was this huge challenge because when uh, COVID hit really in our, our minds around, you know, March, almost two years ago, we knew that Water access, sanitation, and hygiene was the prevention to the spread of uh, COVID-19. Clean hands, safe water, um, of course, masking and distancing, and proper information. That's what would uh, fight uh, this virus. But at the same time, we took a huge uh, financial hit because, you know, we host about 2,000 North Americans a year, mostly from churches, some from uh, businesses on one week immersion trips into Central America and Africa. These are, these are learning experiences, discipling experiences. But those 
travelers also funded, you know, the wash projects, the water and sanitation uh, projects. So when we suspended travel, um, we took a uh, um, $5 million hit to our top line. And that, you know, we're about a $25 million organization. So that was a huge financial hit uh, moving into uh, an unknown future. Secondly, um, operating in 18 countries, we had to put together a, a war room to look at each country independently because each country was coming to grips with the pandemic at a different pace. Um, politics were different in each one of the countries. Supply chain and, and travel logistics was, was different in each one of the countries. Some places, uh, you know, we were able to freely uh, uh, travel with proper protection and other places there was complete shutdown. So we had to put together this 18 country huge grid in our war room. And every day we had to meet uh, with our leaders across the world. And the miracle of course was Zoom. You know, we're, we were able to, to talk to our colleagues for 15, 20 minutes every day, get an update on what was happening in each one of those countries and make decisions operationally. Well, at the same time, we were sorting out the, the challenges financially, carrying the burden, knowing that we needed to meet uh, really the water access, sanitation, hygiene obligations in communities and equip primarily churches to uh, get the, the word out about how to fight this, um, uh, this pandemic, this virus. And so it was incredibly uh, challenging. It, it required uh, faith. It required hard work um, because we didn't know if it was a three-month deal, a six-month deal. Now, you know, moving into the close of the second year, who would have imagined that we would have been operating, you know, within a, uh, a two-year time frame and, and most likely a longer time frame. And so we made significant uh, uh, financial cuts to uh, align our strategies, to you know, suspend hiring and travel and education and everything we could to hold on to our, uh, um, our, our base capacity. We didn't wanna cut um, water projects because that <laughs> would undermine and the COVID solutions, but uh, regrettably, uh, and this, there's a good ending to this story, but regrettably about a, a year and a quarter ago, we agreed to cut 178 uh, water projects around the world. And, um, you know, that was, that was hand-wringing work. That was tear-filled work because we knew that these communities needed uh, our intervention at this time. And, you know, the end of that story was um, God provided um, in a miraculous way. On, on Christmas Eve, uh, a year ago, um, a donor who'd been pretty significant um, came into our office, uh, and I just wanted to thank her because she'd already, you know, doubled down on her annual giving, and I thought maybe she'd, she'd forgotten that, and I was just thanking her and appreciating her and praying with her and telling her that she's done enough. And, and then with her attorney, um, she just asked, what would it cost to add back every one of those cut wells? And I told her thinking, you know, she might add back one or two of those cut 178 wells. And she said, I want to, I want to fund them all. 
Wow. <laughs> so Christmas Eve, one year ago, all of those wells that we uh, painstakingly cut, uh, we're, we're, we've been adding them back really for the last uh, uh, 10 months. And so in the middle of these incredible logistic challenges, operational challenges, uh, you know, God provided what we needed and, uh, you know, communities are continuing to access, uh, you know, water, sanitation and hygiene and certainly experiencing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, when we wrap up this interview, if you don't mind, you could just uh, text me that lady's uh, email address and uh, cell phone number. I'd, I'd be happy to reach out to her and talk to her about a few things that I could use her funding for. She's an angel. You'll, 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 you'll find her. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you've, you have a new book, Thirsting for Living Water. This is both a, a personal theological journey as well as a call for others to find adventure and purpose through God. Um, early in the book, you, you, you wrote about seeing God as a master strategist. What do you mean by that? Well, I found out later in life that as an Enneagram three, I care about strategy. I love strategy, but I didn't know that when I was younger in my, in my twenties. And, uh, um, now I know how my discovery of God as the master strategist was so important to me, you know, based on how God made me. But the story is, I was uh, working for uh, uh, the founder and owner at the time of Domino's Pizza in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, I asked him to make a donation. I tell the story in, in the first chapters of, of my book. But then I wanted to follow that donation just to make sure it was well spent because, you know, I was kind of on the line for it relationally. And the donation was uh, for a water uh, windmill, a water well windmill in Senegal. And I was managing some operations for uh, this uh, leader, Tom Monahan uh, is his name. And he was building this fantastic office complex in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I was responsible for operations of um, the farms, we called it, Domino's Farms. And, you know, I was putting on a million dollar light show we had a petting zoo with you know 50,000 kids a year that were visiting we had all kinds of uh construction and and human interest activities going on you know tom on the detroit tigers at the time it, it was just a fantastic environment but you know i wanted to uh um help a guy put up a windmill so i i took the risk i asked uh, Tom for some of the proceeds from this Christmas light show, some of these donations. And I found myself uh, a couple of weeks later in the Sahel Desert in uh, Senegal um, in this village called Kerr City Bang. And it was like a movie. It was, you know, old blue Mercedes taxi cabs. It felt like I was in, you know, the Casablanca movie. I, I had never been to Africa before. It was, you know, back, you know, in 87. And um, I watched uh, the uh, roughnecks from the UK drilling this water well. And I watched the, uh, the owner of the windmill company uh, excitedly lead children in song. And I watched these communities that um, were impoverished. They had no hope of ever uh, caring for their families or their livestock or ever settling down and developing schools. There was no hope. It was impossible to uh, 
help this community access water uh, a few hundred uh, meters under the Sahel Desert. But there we were. There was uh, water. The gospel was being proclaimed uh, by the country director of uh, World Visions Operations. And I began to visit communities that had water, uh, uh, you know, a month prior or six months prior. And I felt like I was traveling through time that it, when, when communities had water for a little while, they were beginning to plant crops. And when communities had water for a half a year or more, they were beginning to sell that surplus food for school fees. And they were beginning to uh, paint their school buildings. And I was thinking, this is absolutely amazing. How is it even possible that the pizza king, some young operational manager, a drilling crew, uh, the, the lead, uh, uh, World Vision's lead at the time was a Vietnamese former colonel, um, the Christmas light people, <laughs> you know, how could this all come together? to produce life and water and share the gospel in the middle of the Sahel Desert, which was a restricted context um, to share in the gospel. I said, this is impossible. And what, what struck me, and I, I believe this was, you know, the Lord opening my, my mind and my heart to this reality, that God is alive and well, that God cares about uh, the Wolof people in that he was putting together an impossible plan to bring about his redemption story in the middle of the desert. It was, it was impossible yet possible because nobody could have organized, strategized this plan, but we were all playing tiny little parts and something miraculous was happening. And then I saw myself in this story and I'm like, I'm playing a role in this story. I ran the light show. I connected the uh, uh, Tom Monahan to the uh, um, to this uh, windmill manufacturer. Here, here I was in the middle of the desert. So then the, you know I made the connection that, well, maybe God loves me too and, and maybe he's inviting me into his master strategy. And I just, oh, that was so exciting to think that I am known by God, and I'm inviting into a plan larger, bigger, more impactful than I could ever imagine. And that lit me up. It, I got such a, an enthusiastic vision that maybe I could work for God in, in whatever context um, economically I was in. Maybe I could work for God. And if I could discern God's will as the master strategist, um, I would have a exciting and fulfilling life. And so that's uh, kind of where that master strategist idea came from. I was experiencing him in that light, God in that light in the middle of the Sahel Desert in Senegal in, in 1987. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. 
CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. As a person leading an organization that helps people in devastated areas as a result of climate change and economic disparity and political unrest, uh, you're you're accustomed to meeting people where they are in the middle of a crisis. Um, But one of the things you wrote about is finding yourself personally uh, and professionally in a place of devastation with Hurricane Harvey in, in 2017. Walk us through that experience and the ways that it affected um, your organization. I know you alluded to how the pandemic has, but how, how that's been formative for you and maybe even how you approach this pandemic experience. And it's very true that, that the hardships of uh, 2017 absolutely prepared me and Living Water International for the pandemic, but <laughs> it just it was hard to see the future in that in that moment in that in that period of time, which in the book I call the dark night of the soul. Um, I'd borrow that phrase from uh, Saint John of the Cross from the 16th century, where he was describing a, a time when um, God felt distant, um, uh, that He felt alone, that uh, it was it was it was hard to discern and to lead. And the, uh, my book starts out with kind of that descent into the dark night of the soul. You know, the preface or the prologue is about that amazing uh, time uh, discovering God as a master strategist some, you know, 30 years ago. And then it's silent on the miracle after miracle after miracle that I experienced for um, 30 years following that master strategist in America's inner cities and countries around the world, um, God always showed up and he was always inviting me and others in. And it was clear, there were certainly challenges, but it was always clear that, you know, we were following uh, the Lord. And then, uh, then there was a series of personal and economic challenges that began to cloud that for me. Um, This was right at the time when 
some of my staff colleagues were saying, Mike, you, you know, you ought to write a book about um, how uh, living water is engaging with the church across the world and invite people into that story. And I, you know, I just kind of chuckled because I didn't have any capacity in 2017 to, to write a very compelling story about what the church is really doing around the world. And um, why I didn't have that capacity was uh, a series that started with the death of my father. And that's uh, the first chapter of the book. And then it went to uh, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, which is the uh, second chapter. And then it went into um, the economic challenges, um, the relational challenges uh, experienced as I was leading Living Water International during that time, which is the third chapter. And then it culminates in Hurricane Harvey. And so the first third of the book is really kind of a descent into a time because of physical, emotional, relational ministry challenges, business challenges, I really stopped feeling God's presence. And I began to question whether all of that evidence of the last 30 years was real. Is God the master strategist? Is he inviting us into his work? Is he asking us to bring our friends to participate in his big story? I began to doubt that. And so that, that descent goes into detail about, um, you know, death and disease and uh, the business and ministry challenges. And then, you know, we got slammed. You'll remember, <laughs> of course, Andy, the Hurricane Harvey slammed us. And, and then in the, in the middle of that, of course, you know, a lot of industries uh, around uh, the golf course collapsed. And so the, that descent then had me ask the question, is God alive and well? Is he participating uh, in the redemption of the world? And is he inviting me? And so the, the, the second of three parts is really my look back through time, through the lenses of family and community uh, of city and world. And then the, the third uh, section is looking around the world how God is engaged through his church globally and domestically and across uh, locations. And uh, each piece along the way, I'm inviting the reader to consider not only, uh, you know, my story, but really to consider their own story. Um, and so at the end of each chapter, there's, there's three questions, you know, um, reflecting on death, reflecting on disease, reflecting on uh, leadership challenges, reflecting on, um, uh, you know, devastating external environments, and then looking back in their own lives and around the world. Because I think ultimately people, you know, other stories are interesting. There's no doubt about it. Other stories help us begin to think about, um, you know, important issues. But it's when we discover God in our own lives when we begin to recall God's stories of faithfulness in our lives, our families, our communities, that's when um, uh, the life emerges, the light 
begins to shine more brightly. And, and my hope is that as people walk through this book, even now in the challenges of the pandemic and, and social unrest and all kinds of geopolitical uh, issues, that the reader will dis rediscover God. And in the process, um, hear and respond to God's big invitation to join the master strategist's story. And so that's the, uh, the byline of the book, Finding Adventure and Purpose in God's Redemption Story. And I believe as someone cracks the first chapter and then moves through each of these 12 reflections, when they, when they get to the end, they will have the bullet points, the few sentences, the few paragraphs from their own life to be able to boldly uh, move forward into God's plan for them. You know, it's reflected in the book. Um, I, I think there's there's been a healthy shift uh, happening among many white American Christians of a realization that the way we were doing missions um, has been based on this notion that we are this almost this feeling of this great white hope, bringing God to godless people, imploring them in the name of Jesus, almost to become like us. And you know, we've sent thousands of well-meaning mission teams around the world hyped up on the notion that we're doing something for these people they could not do on their own, all while wearing our, you know, cutely designed mission shirts. Um, but I see this sh shift as you write about it in your book, a shift to a healthier approach to, to doing mission work. You know, in what ways has, has Living Waters approach to missions and sharing the gospel changed over the years? I think there certainly is uh, a legitimate opportunity even today, you know, for someone from one country to move into another country um, and bring the good news of Jesus Christ um, one way or the other, one direction or the other. I, I, I see that's a real um, opportunity. Um, and in today's environment, I think there's even bigger opportunities to discover what God is already doing within uh, the church, you know, within the church planting efforts, within small churches, within two or three gathered together, within the, you know, the national church bodies, um, the church bodies that are adjacent to uh, uh, countries that might be culturally aligned where the gospel, you know, is not freely exercised. What I discovered uh, while engaging with Living Water International is that there's so much that we can learn from the church in uh, Latin America and the Caribbean. There's so much we can learn from the church um, from within the continent of Africa and, and from South Asia, that, that God is moving powerfully, culturally, um, systematically um, in an inspired manner in each of these continents that you know i know and i've i've experienced and how what living water is really attempting to do is to come alongside of that uh christian expression that church or that church planting group primarily of nationals and provide a platform for that church to be uh, more visible and relevant in the lives of their communities by giving them resources 
um, knowledge, uh, financial resources, logistical resources to solve the most basic need in their community. And from my perspective, that's uh, safe water. It's the fundamental intervention in human development. If, if we can come alongside of the pre-existing or in partnership with uh, uh, national leaders or adjacent national leaders to strengthen their um, uh, position, their attraction by offering water access, sanitation and hygiene, the church then, that local church becomes uh, visible and relevant, more visible and relevant. People see uh, God's love expressed through deed as well as hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed through words. And so uh, that is different than how we approached our ministry 30 years ago. 30 years ago, we were a sending um, organization. We, we would invite Texans to go out and drill uh, a water well in Guatemala and uh, share the, the gospel while we were doing the drilling. Well, today, we're, we're really partnering with the, uh, the local church expression or the church planting expression to strengthen them. And in many cases, we're behind the scenes because we, we want that local um, emerging institution to be the, uh, the visible entity that continues to disciple uh, members of the community. And what has emerged now and what I'm most excited, you know, coming out of this pandemic is there is more visibility today that there is in fact a global body of Christ. We don't all have to have this aligned theology, you know, to work together, but the Holy Spirit is working effectively through multiple traditions, multiple expressions, and we can enter into a global body without compromising any of our particular beliefs or the tenets of our faith and strengthen that expression, that, that, that Christian expression within the country so that um, uh, it becomes stronger. You know, some of us, us have uh, language resources, some of us have financial resources, political resources, uh, uh, history and theology that's absolutely essential to be shared across the body of Christ. And I believe that as this unified body of Christ becomes more and more visible, more people will respond uh, to Jesus um, because of our unity, because of our love, because we're linking the proclamation and the demonstration of uh, Jesus. And so it's <laughs> our missionary efforts are multi, uh, multifaceted. It's not just local. It's not just at the county or at the national level. It is, in fact, a global effort where we together um, strengthen whatever Christ's expression through the Holy Spirit is in a particular place. One of the more toxic aspects of some mission approaches is the objectification of the people being served and partnered with. I was part of a mission immersion once where 
the organization sent a three-person camera crew to capture all the footage of us, quote, bringing Jesus to the nations, you know, unquote, as we you know, installed water filtration systems, painted buildings, and passed out evangelism bracelets. So what is living water, you know, how do y'all approach sharing your story of what you're doing and who you are serving without feeling like you are um, making them a, an object of, you know, making us feel good for what we're doing or what we're contributing to, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. And um, what, we, what we hope to do is not share our story, but share the story of the people, the communities, and the churches that are actively engaged in their own communities. So if you go to our website, or if you see any of our uh, printed materials, um, the viewer will only see hope, dignity, uh, life. You know, there, every image um, is, is positive and dignified and uh, upbuilding. And you'll rarely see that this is America doing something <laughs> um, to uh, a community, but it's um, a global organization that is equipping the local community with the church uh, as a key partner to, um, to uh, solve the water crisis and to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so um, those are the images uh, that any viewer will see. And our intention is to just raise up and put the light on what uh, the church is doing. Now, of course, we have to list our, our name within that uh, constellation because we want uh, you know, our goodwill and our good systems and our good stewardship to be uh, um, comforting you know, to our partners and to our donors. But as far as the movement of the, uh, the Holy Spirit and the, the bringing about of WASH solutions, that's always um, in partnership um, with the local uh, county and national communities, and it's always uh, hopeful and uh, dignified and full of life. What's your hope for your readers? Well, I hope that they will discover... Uh, God's stories of faithfulness in their own lives, that, uh, that their imaginations will be activated about what God might be calling them into, and that they will take steps to enter into uh, God's big story of redemption. That's my biggest hope. Now, that hope emerged through the writing of the book. You know, my first hope was, hey, let's, uh, let's let uh, our readers come up to speed on who living water is and what we do with and through the church. <laughs> but then it, it shifted. It shifted to uh, really be, for me, it was an act of obedience, you know, tell the story of my faithfulness. I thought the Lord was whispering to me. And then ultimately, um, you know, my, my biggest purpose is what I started with. I, I would like people to discover God's faithfulness in their lives and, and take a step towards the amazing redemptive processes that God is involved in. And 
out of that will be lives worth living. And, and you know, I really hope that people will capture their stories and tell their stories. So, you know, we put together a little website, uh, thirstingforlivingwater.com, and we want to post uh, stories as people discover, you know, God's faithfulness in their lives. Because I believe language is, is, is creative. Um, it's formative. And, you know, we talk so much about how, you know, the, the, the church isn't living up to what the church ought to do and, you know, the challenges that we have in the world. But I want us to talk about how God is making a difference, how people are um, discovering God's faithfulness and tell more stories of real hope real action. And, you know, my biggest dream, and I don't know if, you know, this can be accomplished, um, certainly not alone, but begin to shift the dialogue into a dialogue of hopeful possibilities with uh, the Holy Spirit at the center, um, working through uh, the body of Jesus Christ, working through the church. And I just like to see more and more people discovering and telling their stories and, uh, Lord willing, the dialogue will shift and, and others will be attracted to the Lord. The book is Thirsting for Living Water. Our guest is Michael Mantel. You can check out his website, michaeljmantel.com or water.cc. Michael, thank you for making the time to have this conversation. Uh, what an incredible organization you lead, providing people with the most basic necessities of living all in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Andy. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK offers multiple ways to pursue theological education, helping you learn and grow in your area of ministry. Programs include a 75-hour Master of Divinity degree with concentration in BSK's areas of emphasis, including Black Church Studies, Rural Ministry, and Pastoral Care. For ordained ministers or lay leaders alike, BSK offers nine-hour certificates in Black Church Studies, Rural Ministries, and Pastoral Care, as well as two Exploring Ministry Certificates for General Ministry Training. BSK also offers additional subject-specific training with Flourish workshops in subjects such as Introduction to Youth Ministry, Essentials in Youth Ministry, and the upcoming The Flight of the Soul of America. Now enrolling for Fall 2022. Apply today at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 